Good to see all of you. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 8. While you're turning, how many of you have ever changed jobs, homes, degree paths, plans, or the direction your life was headed? Right? Those are all pretty major things in life, aren't they? Well, here we discover why it's a, it's, it's a seemingly a change of direction for the Lord. It really wasn't. But why it seemed like a change to Israel and why um, they perceived it as a change. And so um, we're going to pick up in verse 1. We're going to read all 13 verses this morning. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary and in the, and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were here on If he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. See, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by such as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone... And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he had said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to disappear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the fact that that Jesus is greater. We thank you for the shadows that were fulfilled in Christ. We thank you for the antitype and the type. We thank you for your son and what he did for us. And Father, may may we come to an understanding here as you're trying to reach the house of Israel with this message. And so, Father, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and minds up that our eyes will see and our hearts will understand, our feet will obey, and that we'll walk in the joy of following after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we discuss why the change, we'll see our high priest compared to earthly high priest and why the new covenant. And so we begin with our high priest. It says that he is seated at the right of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So Jesus said that he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand is a seat of power. It's a seat of authority. It is a place where covenants are made. When you shake hands, you know, there was a day in America when you shook hands, you, a deal was done. You didn't have to have notaries and signatures and lawyers and all that. I mean, and I've always said, if a man's handshake is, is no good, his signature is no better. So it represents us. And if we say something, 
Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you do what you, you do what you say, and if there's some reason you can't do it, you go back and explain why, and you try to make it right. That's the way we're supposed to live, ladies and gentlemen, with integrity and honesty. And here, Jesus sits down. He said he would do it, and he did it. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I'll tell you what, that's where I want my advocate seated. I want him sitting to the right there in the seat of authority and the seat of power and the one who makes covenants with the right hand. Listen, <laughs> when we take an oath, which hand do we raise? Raise your right hand. Because it's a commitment. It's a commitment. So our high priest is seated where he's supposed to be seated. But he's also a minister in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is basically a holy place. He's in the presence of God. He's ministering there. Well, who's he ministering? Ministry. I can't minister if I'm not ministering to somebody, right? Ministry requires a recipient. I could do ministry, but if there was nobody here, I'm just out. I mean, but somebody said a long time ago, if you think you're leading and nobody's following, you're just out taking a walk. And so if there's nobody there that's receiving that, then it's not ministry. But it says that he's a minister there. So who's he ministering to there? He's ministering to us. He's, he's interceding on our behalf. He, at the high priest, when, when you and I, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I still make mistakes. And that may be generous. <laughs> I have a high priest that when those come up before the Lord, he says, yes, hold on. My blood took care of that done. He's interceding and ministering on my behalf. And so he's in the very little presence of God because it says he ministers in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is the very presence of God. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was really kind of an interesting study this week on the word sanctuary because it talks about God's presence anytime you, it, wherever that's used. And we call the church in here, we call this the sanctuary, right? Walking into the presence of God. And uh, I thought that was really interesting that that word was transferred and used that way. But you know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there I am with them, right? Now, you know, the interesting thing too is this, is you'll hear churches invite the Lord into the service or invite God. You know, we invite you. Um, I usually invite people who aren't there yet. Don't you? He's already here. We don't need to invite him. He's welcome here. He doesn't need an invitation. We are invited into his presence is the way it should be. And so we got to keep things in right perspective. And so he's a minister in the sanctuary. Our high priest is a minister in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. And I, you know, I was, how many of you have ever put up a tent before? How many of you have ever uh, had, I mean, some tents are like, man, just, it's common. It's so easy. And then others, you have a pile of sticks and parts left over and the thing is sort of up. Right? Have you ever had that? And I was picturing the Lord pitching this tent. You know? And, I, and of course for him it would be, he'd just go, and it would be there. But, you know, it was, it was just, I thought it was a funny mental image of the Lord pitching. But you know what it is? As he said, it, what the point he's making here is not that God has pitched this tabernacle. The point that he's making is, it's God's thing. It's something that he's done. It's not something you're going to... Because remember in the, in the Old Testament, they used to take the, tab, the tabernacle down. It would travel with them. There's ways to store and carry. And, and they had to have certain rings, those lengths, and all that. And if you've ever studied it, it's an interesting study. Um, it's a lot of technical information. But you know what? What that goes to show us is we can't do it. We can't do it, but God can and has, and that's the beauty. And so he's a minister in the one that God, that, uh, that God pitched. And so I thought that was a pretty cool image that, uh, that he's giving us here. The furtherance of that takes us into this idea. What was the tabernacle? When they would set it up, this was a precursor to the temple, Right. When they would set it up, it was the very house of God, it would be where God's presence would dwell. And so he's there in the very, it's being reiterated 
that he's there in the very presence of where God lives. And so the work of the high priest is to offer both gifts and sacrifices. If you go back to the Old Testament and understand what the high priest did is they would go in and their sacrifices were for sins of the people, but they offered gifts. They had wave offerings and thanksgiving offerings and remembrance offerings. And even the Passover was a gift back to the Lord, thanking them for rescuing them out of Egypt. Thank you for passing over the firstborn and their family as they had applied the blood to the doorpost and the, the, the mantle. And so they had all of these offerings, if you will. They had these offerings and these sacrifices that they, had, they were giving to the Lord. But then Jesus, <clears throat> when he made his sacrifice and his offer, he offered himself. And he did it once. Because when he did it, it was finished. He didn't have anything left to do. He didn't have to re-offer it every year. He didn't have to re-up it. And it wasn't time to renew his contract. When he offered the sacrifice, it was once for all. And our, which is interesting if you take this over to, over to um, Romans, where he talks about which is our reasonable worship and our service is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's interesting, very interesting. Because we still are there and need to remain humble before the Lord with our whole life as a sacrifice before him. And so it's necessary that our high priest have something to offer. And Jesus did. He offered himself. He offered himself and he was the perfect sacrifice. He was without spot or blemish. He was 100% pure. There wasn't a single sin in him. And so he absolutely had something to offer. It was him. And so that's who he now. Why is that important for Israel? Because Israel, one, had rejected Jesus Christ. They were still looking for this Messiah. They were still operating under the sacrificial system. And they didn't see that it was a picture of him. And so what he's saying is, hey, this is the guy. This is the one. He has made the sacrifice. What you're looking to in there has been complete. He's the one. So then he begins to compare with an earthly high priest. And he says this about Jesus. He said, if he were still here, he wouldn't be a priest. See, Jesus had to have overcome death. To be better than the priest. See, because a high priest who died was no longer a priest, was he? No, he was a corpse. He's dead. He's not still offering sacrifices. He's not still interceding on behalf of the people. He's dead. But Jesus is not dead. That was the point he's really making here. It's really interesting how he weaves this in. Watch the development here. So he said he wouldn't be a high priest. He had to overcome death. And his work on our behalf is in heaven. He's still a priest, ladies and gentlemen. He's still doing the work. The earthly priest, he begins to line out what they did. They offered gifts according to the law. These were prescribed. Every year you're to do this. It wasn't a heart thing. It was a law thing. We have to do this. Boy, some people treat their Christian journey and their Christian walk just like that. Well, I've got to do this for God. This is what you do for God. There's no heart in it. There's no passion in it. There's no desire to serve the Lord, really, except to make sure I check that box. Because I'm going to feel bad if I don't. We're not called to be motivated by guilt. We're motivated by grace. We're motivated by the love of God. Paul said the love of God constrains me to go. And that love that him toward us ought to motivate us in everything we do for him. And that's why I think I love so much what, what Paul was talking about when he said the only thing the Holy Spirit has told me is that bonds and chains are there, but I'm going anyway. 
you know, what if God called you to something and you knew it was going to be bad? Because <laughs> that's what the Holy Spirit told you. How many of us would say, I'm going? We think God's hand is on something when it's easy. When it just all falls together. Oh, God was in that. You know, but if you do a real study of the men and women that God led in here, every one of them faced adversity in their obedience. Every one. They didn't just come up flowers and roses. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have an enemy that wants to destroy your obedience. Wants to keep you from saying, wow, that was hard on me, so I'm not going to do that again. And he appeals to a self-centered mentality that is rampant in America today. Of, you know, God wants to do this for you and you're going to be all better. And if you buy this little thing of water for me, you're going to get checks in the mail and all this stuff. If you haven't heard about that, watch the late night TV. It's ridiculous. That's not of God. There was back in the 80s, there was actually a preacher on TV said, if you'll send $10,000, I'll give you a piece of my time. I said, why would I do that? I buy a tie for 30 bucks. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. It's ridiculous. Self-centeredness versus a servant's heart. You know, I'm called to be spent for the Lord. I received from the Lord when I was saved. If he never gives me anything again, he's already given me more than I deserve. Why do we think, why do we sit here and think he owes us anything? That's an arrogant position, ladies and gentlemen. He don't owe you nothing. Honestly, he don't even owe me salvation. That's grace. That's a gift. What he owes me is hell. That's what he really owes me. We don't want to, we don't like that talk. But it's true. The truth is always the truth, whether you like it or not. That's what he owes me. But based on the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to avoid that. And so the earthly priest, he offered gifts according to the law, not grace. He served a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. See, it was meant to give us a picture of what was there. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a picture of somebody and started talking to it like it was them? Yeah. No hands went up. <laughs> how many of you, oh, let me just meet, let's do it this way. How many of you ever looked at the photograph and you were in a group and who's the first person you need to look for? Yourself. And if you look good in the photo, it's a good photo, right? <laughs> and if you don't look good in the photo, it's not a good photo. It's like, oh, no, I don't know. This is not a good photo because I don't look good. Isn't that what we do? It's Our self-centeredness is very subtle. But I've never treated a, personally, I've never treated a photograph like it was the person. Right? That makes no sense. This, the old sacrificial system, was a picture of this reality. And you're missing the reality. That's the message. Because you're still holding on to the photo and the person's right there. And you're like, oh, we're just so in love with this photograph. And so they served a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. It was meant to show the way, not be the way. The earthly priest. <clears throat> God showed Moses the tabernacle he erected. See. He showed it to him. Because he wrote about it. We found out, we found out about it. But he had to receive. He had to receive that. <clears throat> Remember when he went up on the mountain? He told him, "This is what you got to do." And, but he had to receive that. It wasn't from Moses. It was from God. So when we go to the source documents, have you ever? Anytime you study, you need to go to the source documents where things come from. If you're going to do a real study, 
You know, we want to say, well, Bubba over here said this and Johnny said that. And they, they, they all agree, so it's good. No, go back to the original writings and read them for yourself. Because truth is always truth. Right? If I say something and, it, and we can prove that it's wrong, what's the truth? The truth is the truth and I'm wrong. If the Bible says something and I say something else, who's right? God's word is right and I'm wrong. That applies to all of us. I either submit to it or I try to change it to where I'm more comfortable. That's happening all across America. That's why people are saying, well, the Bible has many interpretations. That is a lie. The Bible does not have many interpretations. It has one interpretation. What God meant when God wrote it, period. It can apply in different ways and in different areas of your life. But it means what God meant when he wrote it. When I write a love letter to my wife, it only means what I meant when I wrote it. Not what you want to apply it to me. Boy, I sat in classes in college and some literature classes and I heard these the most craziest, ridiculous things <clears throat> of meanings of poetry. You know, and I, I, I don't know if this is true, so I'm telling you that up front. I don't know if this is true. But I had heard of a story that happened in... This one professor was going on and on about all these things that it meant. And the poet, the actual guy who wrote it, had snuck into class, unknown to the teacher. And he raised his hand and he said, hi, I'm so-and-so. And when I wrote it, that was just actually a field that had flowers in it. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, you know, so I don't know how true that is. I would have liked to have been there though, <laughs> if it was true. Because it's ridiculous. We can't add meaning to something. The only meaning we add to anything is when we let it transform our lives. It validates and, and it gives credibility to the truth and accuracy of it. And so the writer then, so Moses had received, so they were following this thing that had been given to them instead of God who had been the one who gave it. So then the writer reverts back to Jesus again. So he kind of goes back to the high priest after this because he's, he's talking about these priests and what they're trying to do. And he goes back to Jesus and his priestly ministry telling us that he's obtained a more excellent ministry. Isn't that cool? But how so? Well, he's a mediator of a better covenant. How is this a better covenant? The other covenant... Covered sin. The new covenant removes sin. That's better, right? I don't want I don't want my sin covered. I want it gone. So it's better. He brings spiritual healing as part of the new covenant. The old covenant, there was not. You didn't have the opportunity to go in the presence of God because you had to be perfect. Now we are, we're made perfect. Do you realize that if you weren't made perfect at salvation, you couldn't even pray? Have you ever thought about that? You know, what we ought to do is, Stephen marked this down. We ought to do a thing on what happened when we actually got saved. I don't think we know. If I'm made perfect, you say, well, you don't know me. I ain't made perfect. I didn't say you behave perfect. But you're made perfect. Otherwise, you couldn't be in a relationship with Christ. You couldn't be in his presence. You couldn't pray and talk to him. It's required. And so he's a mediator of a better covenant. One that removes sin and brings spiritual healing. The new covenant has been enacted on better promises. The new covenant is based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That was sacrificed once for the sins of all mankind. It didn't have to be re-upped or renewed or redone. That would be insufficient 
if you got to redo it. That's the beauty. The beauty of this is that's how we know that we're secure for eternity. That I can't mess it up and blow my salvation. You can't ruin it. You know, everybody's afraid to tell people that. Well, now they're going to go sin. You know what I found? Real Christians don't want to sin. They hate it. They hate it. Because the Spirit of God lives in them. And He leads them away. And He brings conviction of sin. That's a sign of salvation. Not that you prayed 20 years ago. The fact that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin now is evidence you're saved. If He's not... That's a Greek word meaning check it out. If he's not leading you into truth, he's not revealing scripture to you. You know, we're so busy coddling America because you're going to offend them if they tell us. Listen, I'd rather offend you and give you the chance to really be saved than give you something that gives you a false sense of security where you slide on a grease slope right into hell. Amen? Amen. Wouldn't you rather know now when you got a chance? We're so afraid to tell people the truth today because they're going to label us. Let them label you. Maybe you get some press and you can tell people the gospel story of Jesus Christ. Come interview me. Then the national media. We've lost the unction and the authority of Jesus Christ and standing on his shoulders as shed blood of the Lord. People don't share it anymore. We just want everybody to get along. You have to tell everybody they're okay, I'm okay, you're okay. The truth is, there's times that I am not okay. And there's times you're not okay. We do it all the time. You come to church, how you doing? I'm fine, how you doing? I'm fine. Has that ever been a lie for you? Whoop! Come on now. We put on a little mask, and then we want to blame the church for not ministering to us. That's the truth, folks. The truth is always the truth. I'm going to tell you, though, it's not all your fault. Some of it's the church's fault. Because we gossip and instead of being a safe place where people can unload and connect with Jesus Christ. That's why I don't tolerate none of that garbage here. Amen. Amen. And you guys being quiet, you're going to get me going. The louder you are, the quieter and shorter I am. Amen. Thank you. All right, I'll talk quieter for Stephen. <laughs> so that's terrible. Um, now I'm completely done. Uh, the writer, he reverts, reverts back to Jesus. He's a mediator of a better covenant, and it's on better promises. It's on Jesus' blood, not the blood of rams and goats. And the, let me tell you, the blood of Jesus is much better than the blood of rams and goats. And so our sacrifice is alive, but theirs is dead. He's alive, folks. He's not dead no more. He was in the grave for three days, and that's it. But he's alive today, and he lives, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus overcame the bonds of this place to bring us a new covenant. And so the new covenant is where we conclude this story. He leaves us with this section in verses 7 through 13. And he says that the first covenant was faulty. And the reason it was faulty is because it could not forgive sin. So Jesus brought a new covenant that could. It didn't forgive sin. It was never meant to. The law was never meant to be our savior. It was meant to prep us for the one who is. And so under the new covenant, he says that he's going to put his laws in our mind and write them on our hearts. He communicates directly with his people. We don't go through a mediator. He is the mediator. 
That's why, listen, you don't have to go through some prophet, priest, or king, or pastor to get to the Lord. You have direct access. Amen. That's why we believe here that every member is called to ministry, all of us. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. We are all called to full-time ministry, all of us. We need to see our lives that way. Because if we don't, we, we compartmentalize. Well, I'm at work, then I'm doing this, then I've got family, and I've got church. And maybe God is in there too. Some people see church as God. Let me tell you, this is not your service to God. You're called to ministry, but this isn't it. We come together to encourage each other unto love and good works. This is this is not that. This is what that this is for that. So we go from here to spread the love of God and to do the works that He's laid out for us from the foundation of the world. Do you realize God did that before you even you were even conceived? He knew about you and had plans for your life and laid them out. Don't you want to know what they are? Please don't get confused by reading. Five, there's a whole rack of books on it. Don't go do that. You follow him each and every moment and do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. And you're going to discover that that's the journey. It's not hard, folks. It's willingness to obey and the journey reveals itself. He may not tell you everything. He oftentimes doesn't tell everything. And we're frustrated with God about that because we want to know it all so we can follow him. If you're not going to follow him by just doing this thing, you're not going to follow him if he shows you all of it. Did he show Abraham everything? Him and Isaac when they went up to the mountain? Not until he got up there, did he? That's the way God works consistently in scripture. So stop trying to change who God is and start submitting to what that is. We live in obedience here and now in this moment, in this one thing. And it's a string of one things where you get to look back and see how God used you. And it's for all for his glory, not for yours. And that's what it's about. And so he communicates directly with his people. The new covenant, he'll make himself accessible to all people so they can all know him personally. His, his focus shifts to our relationship with him instead of nationality. Now we're moving into relationship. Which is what he was after from the very beginning. What happened in the garden with Adam and Eve when they sinned? What is the first thing they said to God following that sin? Adam did not run over there. Hey, hey, I have the apple. And not the apple, the fruit. We don't know that it was an apple. The Bible says fruit. We ate of the fruit and he didn't run to her. They were running to the Lord. Eve didn't either. They heard him coming and they did what? They went and hid themselves. We hide from God. When we carry the things that the enemy tells us about ourselves. Because we don't know what happened when we were saved. You ever hid from God? Does that seem to be the stupidest thing anybody could ever do? You need, can we say stupid? That was the dumbest thing. How can you hide from God? He can see everything. He walk, can walk through walls. We make walls and he's like, Jesus walked through them. And not like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> That's horrible. That, that dates me a little. But the young people don't even know who the Kool-Aid man was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah. It goes back to, that. yeah, we better keep moving. So he makes himself accessible. He switches to more of a personal relationship. He said he'll have mercy on our iniquities. There's our forgiveness, folks. See, you don't know the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is not getting what we deserve. 
Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. It's like if I'm speeding, the cop pulls me over. Grace is not giving me a ticket. Mercy is handing me $20. That's how it works. So he's going to have mercy on them. See, where he fills in the gap that we tried to fill in. That's mercy. Because we don't deserve that. He'll remember our sins no more. See, that's complete removal. Isn't that cool? And if God just wrote that one verse, that would be enough, wouldn't it? (laughs) Just to not remember that. Have you ever wished somebody could forget something you said? (laughs) Uh, I guess I'm the only one. That's okay. I wish they could forget that. The problem is now the tape. Have you ever said something you wish you could take back? It's like toothpaste. you ever try to put toothpaste back in? They don't go back in. Because the more you squeeze it, it just gets worse. So stop talk, stop squeezing. When the new covenant comes, the old covenant becomes obsolete. See, he's replaced human effort with faith and hope. And we're called to embrace that. We're called to embrace him. Not this old way, but boy, we really want that. We want to know what we're supposed to do. Let me tell you what you're supposed to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you love him and care about him and are paying attention to him, he'll clearly speak to you. Now, if you're sitting there, I'm going to help you. If you're sitting there, because I've sat there and I've had preachers say this and it made me feel bad. I've said to myself, well, he doesn't speak to me. So I understand the comment and I know where you are because I've been there. I'm going to tell you how when God began to speak to me, I'm going to tell you what changed in me that started to cause that. When I was willing to do whatever he said, he began to speak. If you're not willing, he will wait. So make yourself willing. Tell him, I'm scared to death. I really don't want to do this, but I know it's right. I'm willing to do whatever you say if you'll speak to me. Don't lie to him. Because he'll know. He'll see your heart. He'll know whether it's true or not. But if you really are there, he'll begin to speak to you. He said, my sheep know my voice. And you won't, so you won't have any doubt that it's him. And so what do we take away from this passage? We have to be careful where we put our confidence, folks. A lot of times we put our confidence that we're okay in our walk, in our journey, with this idea that I'm doing these things, these things are happening, I'm, you know, we can get a list. I actually started my outline, believe it or not, for the, the book on grace law. That's what I call it, grace law. Now that you're saved, you've got this new list. We go from the law law, now that we're saved, now we have a grace law. Now we got to do all this stuff. Instead of just Grace. Instead of letting that unfired Christian be on fire, why don't we stoke the fire instead of pour water on them? Why don't we let them share what God's showing them in the Word and find validation in the work that God's doing in them instead of saying, well, you shouldn't be reading over there in Timothy. You're supposed to be in John. You ever had somebody tell you that? Or you ever heard somebody say, you ever said that to somebody? Well, start in John. I've said it. Listen, I'm going to... Throw all my garbage out there for you. I've done that. You know where the Lord led me? He didn't lead me to John when I first got saved. He led me to Philippians. Because Mark needed to learn how to love. Amazing. God knew where to start with my biggest need. Hallelujah that he knows me better than I know myself. I learned so much from that book. Philippians to this day is very precious to me. So be careful where you put your confidence. See, we kind of like things we can control, (laughs) such as what we do for him. Well, this is what I'm going to do for God. God. It always sounds like that when people say it. I'm doing this for God. I don't care what you're doing for God. I care what God's doing for you. That's what I want to see. I want to see the hand of God, not your hand. Don't you? Y'all want to see the hand of God move? 
like it never has before? You know, how many of you have ever heard of the Ashbury Revivals? One. Thank you, Sarita. It started with six people. We got them beat. You know where it started? It started with the kneecap. It was a kneecap revival. They started praying. And then it started, the prayer started spreading. I actually have it on video. I know somebody, one of my mentors was in the Dallas classroom when one of the people came from Ashbury and it broke out in the classroom. He's seen it. I'm getting chills just talking about it. And it's the hearts of God's people. God, let me tell you something. God doesn't need you to do nothing for him. He invites us for our own good. He invites us to participate. He invites us to be there in the moment when he changes a life. That's grace, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what I'm I'm talking about. The genuine deal according to this book. Not some kind of American contrived thing that we call church. I'm talking about God inspired, God infused, God overwhelmed moments that happen every day around us and not missing out on it. We hear these stories, we go, oh, that's so awesome, that's so awesome. But these other people, there's nothing special about them. God loves you just like he loves them. You're not weird. Well, you're a little weird, but you're not weird where God can't use you. We're all a little weird, right? And we all said, (laughs) That was kind of weird. And so, be careful where your confidence is. Find your comfort and confidence in your relationship with Him. Not in what you do for Him. We have to focus our attention on our relationship with the Lord instead of our behavior. We are so behavioral driven, it's not even funny. You know, we try to manage that which God has removed. Have you noticed that in church today? We're going to try to tell you how to avoid sin, how to keep yourself out of sin, how to keep yourself out of traps. And God said he removed all of your sin as far as the east is from the west. So why wouldn't I? Talk to you about how to deepen your relationship with him. Let's leave that back where Jesus dealt with it. At the cross. Right? Does that make sense? So let's talk about. Let's talk about having intimacy and conversation with God. And being actually honest with him. When we know that our honesty. We're in in the wrong place. People are afraid to do that. They want to say these very nice things. Oh God I pray to you today. And they come up with these things. Have you ever been there and go, man, I wish you could pray like that. I don't ever want you to pray like anybody else. Because that's inauthentic. I want you to tell God the truth. Every time. And be honest with Him. And lay it there. And let Him come and fellowship and sup with you. And talk about those things. And discover why. And let Him show you Himself. Let Him show you the beauty and the majesty of Him. In the moment, not miss out. On the glory of his son that he's spending time with you. That's giving me goosebumps too. We talk about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit so casually. We've lost the reverence and the respect that he showed us on the cross. How much respect is it to take your sin on himself? Because of his love for you. I think we disrespect him. By not embracing him. The way we ought to. And it's because the enemy has worked on us so much. To tell us how lousy we are. And we'll, we don't sing it here. Thank God for a man who loves the Lord. And is willing to evaluate music. To make sure it's honest to scripture. Amen. No. Mm-mm. Amen? Amen? Yeah. He spends time doing that. We don't sing, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, because that's a lie. The Bible never calls God's people sinners ever again. How could it? Their sin is separated from them. The east is from the west. Why we ever wrote that song or sang that song, I don't know. 
It belittles the creation of God, the brand new creation that you are in Christ. So be careful. Our focus is on our relationship with the Lord instead of our behavior. He wants more from you than just acting right. If that's what God wanted, couldn't he just put strength and make us little puppets and do it? That's what he wanted. Well, but God wants us to choose to act right. And so that honors him. Do you really think that that is all God is after in your life? Does God want us to do the right things and be obedient? Yes. But it doesn't. that's a result because we love him. That's not the package. The package is him. And so we've got to get our eyes right, folks. What do we take away? Three. So be careful where you put your confidence. One, two... Your attention needs to be on the relationship instead of your behavior. Three, realize biblical misunderstandings will lead you away from what God is doing. They absolutely will. Anybody in here have perfect theology? My hand is not up. This is a representation. Even though it looks like it's up. No, none of us have perfect theology. There's some, have you, how many of you have ever changed a view on scripture or something as God began to show you and reveal more? There you go. That's the point. It is a journey. And we are in this together. We're called to love one another. We're called to sow together. Thessalonians was called the mature church because they fellowship and supped around the word of God. They shared it. They looked at it. They studied it. They prayed about it. And they sought him with right hearts to seek what the truth was. You know, I studied a passage of scripture for two weeks and I felt like something was missing. You ever been there when you're studying and it's like I'm missing. So there's a link here. And that week I was in the office and somebody dropped in who never drops in. <laughs> and I told them I was because I was preparing. This was the section on I should do the, th- uh, the things I want to do. I don't do and I don't do the things I want to do out of Romans. And they made one comment and the whole thing just came together. It was the missing link. God used them in my life that day, that week, that day for that weekend. And that's what it's supposed to be. And if you're lacking that or missing that, lean in. Lean into him and lean into one another. Listen, folks, the truth matters. We do not add piety to it or reject the things we disagree with. We don't go further than it. And we don't say, well, I don't agree with that, so I'm just not going to take it. The truth matters. The truth matters, ladies and gentlemen. This is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. There is one way and only one way. And his name is Jesus. And this book he gave to us. Without error. And this. Is less than what could have been written. We know that from the gospels. Because if all the books of the world. Couldn't have contained the works of Jesus Christ. He said it. So this. Is pretty important. And just knowing the facts in here ain't going to help you. You get another one who wrote it. He'll bring those facts alive. And that's the fun in the journey. That, ladies and gentlemen, is why the change came. They were too busy trying to fill their little boxes with do's and don'ts. By the way, that's why people don't want to go to church anymore. It's a bunch of list of do's and don'ts. Let me tell you, that's sad. The only reason it ever becomes that is because there's no genuine relationship, right? It ought to be real. You ought to see a pastor or a congregation who are broken over their sins, who are willing to admit when they fail. I'll tell you, I fell. I fell. And I'm going to fail every one of you. And you know what? You're going to fail me. Okay. Now that that's out of the way, let's get on with it. That's what families do. You ever had anybody in your family fail you? 
You ever failed somebody in your family? Okay, no, we already knew that. It's time to move on. We need to be a place where people can unload and learn and not be judged, but be supported and helped and bandaged. And medicine applied. And tell them, you know, don't walk this way because you're, you know, don't, don't look at me with that face because it'll stay that way. <laughs> but don't walk this way because th- there's some dangers up ahead. You know, everybody in here has some experience that I don't have. And if you, when you're sharing that and you're telling me there's a ditch on the edge of the road that's going to blow your tire out and throw you over the edge, I ought to listen. If, unless I want to go over the edge, then I aim for the hole. But either way, it was helpful. <laughs> you know, there was a guy, uh, you know, you may or may not be a Dallas Cowboy fan. That's a material only for this story. But there was, in the, in the early 1970s, there was a Dallas Cowboys, they had a star running back named Dwayne Thomas. You know, anybody here recognize the name? Sarita. I'm so glad you came today. <laughs> Dwayne Thomas. And they were asking him this question. They were about to go to the Super Bowl. And they were asking Dwayne, they said, uh, how does it feel to play in the ultimate game? And Dwayne, with all this, Dwayne's a good name, a good healthy name, right? A lot of wisdom comes when Dwayne speak. I think so. <laughs> Michelle didn't move a muscle. Did you notice that? But Dwayne said this. If it's the ultimate game, why are we playing it again next year? But see, we would have been right there with him going, yeah, this is the ultimate game. It's a Super Bowl. And the point is we hold on and believe these things that aren't true until they're challenged. We don't see the truth of it. We just, or we don't see the deception. And ladies and gentlemen, that's, we're here for each other. Not to tear down. Not to go, now, Gary. We're here to, our hearts are to weep with one another and rejoice with one another. To be broken together and to resurrect and rise and fly together. That's what God has called us to And so, be careful that you're holding on to the truth and not finding comfort in the wrong things. Don't find comfort in what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. And what He can do through you when you're willing to obey. That's the beauty of the journey. Don't miss it. I'm going to say everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.